Welcome, everybody, to the new media show. Happy New Year to everyone. Of course, I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenley, who's sounding a little, I don't know, froggy this morning. Good morning, Rob. Yes, I have a little froggy voice this morning. Um, if you're starting to wonder, Todd and I were were um, talking about just, you know, calling myself Steve this uh, in this episode because <laughs> I don't sound like myself but uh I mean you know how you know people have colds and stuff you know it changes your voice and you're a podcaster you can play a different character on your show for one week <laughs> yeah Rob and it sounds to me like you've got a your head is actually completely stuffed up it's kind of entertaining <laughs> on my end <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, welcome Steve to the show, everyone. Right. So, right. Uh, Rob, I'm uh, sitting here in my uh, hotel room with absolutely horrible. I switched hotels this year for CES in Las Vegas, and uh, boy, one thing I did not read up on was their internet, and it is absolute crap here. So I'm on my MiFi today because I just couldn't trust the hotel speed. I usually stay at the Plaza, and it's like rocking there, fifty-fifty, you know, and. But here it's uh, it was dismal. I was like, "You got to be kidding me! This is killing me." So, anyway, hopefully Skype will hold throughout the show today. Yeah, Todd, it's uh, 2019, and we still haven't gotten good internet access everywhere, have we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I have this theory though: farther west you go, the internet gets better. But that's not necessarily the case in Las Vegas. Uh, but it, it's true though. I've found globally that as I travel east. I get closer to New York, the internet in hotels is worse, and then when I get into California, it's always fantastic. So you can see who values their internet speed more, uh, depending on where you're traveling in the country. Of course, a lot of it has to do, I think, with ownership of hotels, and if they're older or young, or, or you know, they, they, they try to figure it out, but uh, obviously this hotel has not. And I am staying at the D, the D in Las Vegas on Fremont Ooh. Street. So. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> hey, that's... Yeah, the vibe of the soap. Well, that's where the values are, right? You go up to the old town and, right? So, yeah. So you get it a, was definitely a price. Yeah. Well, I booked late, so the place I normally stay was completely full, and, uh, and the prices for CES goes crazy anyway here. But anyway, everyone, welcome to the show. And uh, I'm already exhausted. I've only been here 24 hours. I'm getting uh, – I picked – uh, got to pick the gear up this morning from FedEx, and I bring it back to the hotel and make sure none of it got broke during the – the flyover, and then uh, if everything looks good, then I'll tell the guy that's uh, leaving from uh, Arizona later this afternoon that he does not need to bring any emergency equipment. So uh, I've got my backup on standby. So that's what's on tap for this afternoon for me. And then set up tomorrow at the Sands Convention Center. We're going to be over there instead of the, the main hall over at LVCC. Mm-hmm. So I'm... Uh, get everything set up and do some tests and hopefully everything works and I won't run into the problems I had last year, but, uh, you never know. There's always something. So we'll see how it goes. So I was just curious, Todd, if you had any, any kind of impression, if, uh, there's, um, you know, increasing podcast related activities going on at CES, uh, is there anything that you've heard about that is going on there? Well, I know there's a number of podcasters here, you know, and they're all kind of doing right. their thing. I don't, you know, I don't know if uh, Aloria is doing a big event. I assume she is. She usually has a sponsor and usually is in some uh, big name branded uh, area. Right. I don't know if Leo is right. here. Um, you know, I'm so focused on getting 
everything booked, you know, when you're trying to book 100 people in 15-minute increments and working their schedules. And, you know, so for me, it's I've been in spreadsheet hell for the past week and, uh, and you know, working through literally, um, I'm not kidding, thousands of emails. So for me, logistically, I've been, you know, kind of really sucked up by the admin part of this. But now I'm you know, the schedule's booked. I only have a, maybe four or five slots to open, and we'll fill those easily from the floor. So I'm at this point, I'm really focused on getting ready to get the content out in the social media. And, you know, because if you think about what we have to do is, um, you know, this whole process of, you know, number one, getting a relationship with the vendor, with the conventioneer, uh, which is the CEA. And then negotiating space, uh, negotiating equipment, negotiating bandwidth, um, hopefully to get a large part of that comped. And then, um, and then from that point, then you have to start to uh, you know, determine how you're going to book people uh, several months in advance to get them into your schedule. So you have to start a marketing campaign to go out and and if you're doing this for the first time it's much more difficult for us we build up a good network of folks i just you know i email about 1500 pr people and say hey we've opened up our application this year and we make them fill out an application to be on the show because i probably reject five out of ten applications that come in because we don't need to have another um cell phone cover vendor come in and show us their latest cell phone covers that's not you know, that's not something people are going to stick around and watch on the live stream. So, you know, we we, we basically have them uh, go to an online website and fill out this application. And, and then we have to honor embargoes and we get the press materials and really be have all this stuff ready for the for the host to be able to talk to this person with some semblance of intelligence. And then... Uh, you know, then it comes planning to get ready to actually do the event, come in and, and set things up. So for me, you know, I'm in the last stages of this, whereas tomorrow I will be emailing tomorrow and Monday, Sunday and Monday, I'll be emailing the Tuesday, um, the folks that are appearing on Tuesday for the live show and reminding them that Vegas has this um, time warp. You know, if you if you think you can get from point A to point A to point B in 10 minutes, it's really going to be 30. And uh, don't forget, if you're at the Las Vegas Convention Center and you're coming to the Sands on the first day of the show, you need to start like an hour and a half early to get to me because of traffic. And uh, so, you know, we remind them of all these things so that hopefully they are there and we're not sitting there without a guest because Tuesday is typically the day where um, we don't have a lot of content because we haven't well, we don't have content in the can that we can replay because we haven't been to a lot of events and the floor teams have just started you know, collecting interviews. So, you know, I'm telling the guys that, hey, whatever you've collected two nighttime events that are happening uh, tomorrow and, and Monday, you know, you need to bring that material to the, the studio first thing Tuesday morning so that I have Phil just in case a, uh, a vendor doesn't show up. So I can play an interview instead of, you know, talking to dead air for 15 minutes. So, um, you know, my main focus is on Tuesday. The rest of the week is pretty easy because by by Tuesday night, we've got enough stuff in the can to be able to cover when someone doesn't show or a walk in. We can fill. 
So it gets a little crazy from that perspective. But not only that, I have to have the social media stuff ready to go. So that means having, you know, because I basically say three minutes before the guest is supposed to be on the air, I basically send out a tweet, automated tweet that says, you know, uh, uh, Acme, uh, you know, cell phone company is going to be on the show next, uh, you know, stand by. And it, and it gives us that bump for people who are following them on social media. And so the social media messages start to roll out. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to be scheduled. So we've kind of got a science to this. You know, I've got a checklist that I go through to be ready to do this. But really, at Tuesday at 10 a.m. when we go live, it's pure chaos between that and Friday at 3 p.m. when we uh, when we shut down and tear the studio down. So um, I almost become you. T- you know, you're talking about you having a head cold. Um, I become almost numb. So much stuff is going on that if I don't have a checklist, I will forget because there's just too much stuff to keep track of and hurting cats and. Uh, my mom has come to the show and for a number of years, and she's basically like the den mother and, and basically making sure people are in place and making sure guests are getting out and feeling comfortable and taking care of the green room and all that stuff that goes on to getting people in and out the door and collecting business cards and having lower thirds ready. It, it's it's a process, it, you know, um, but the only way you learn how to do it is to actually do it, but it pays off in spades throughout the rest of the year with these contacts we've made. So um, not a small undertaking. So for any podcaster coming, (laughs) getting back to the original discussion, um, CES can be very rewarding. You don't have to do live. You can walk the floor and get interviews, make contacts. Uh, It's a great event if if that is your genre. But uh, not everyone has uh, the fortitude to to do this because, mm-hmm. you know, I literally come back to the hotel every night at eight o'clock, and there's no partying for me. It's just pure face plant. <laughs> right. Yeah. So as you kind of kind of work the floor, though, or, I mean, is there going to be you know situations where you're going to uh, you know see companies that are talking about podcasting related stuff? I'm sure you know the automotive side will have something that's going on uh, as far as updates to you know maybe carplay or android well, auto or those kind of stuff i mean is that yeah i mean is that normally for CES, what you see yeah nah for ces i'm i'm not worried or even that is not even at least my remember i do a tech show so right for me ces is purely about getting content that my listeners are going to want i'm not worried at all about what uh, what's going to be good for the podcasting space? I may take note of something from the car companies, right. but uh, really the show for that is NAB and and some of the other audio shows where there may be some some new stuff out and you know. But uh, I don't really pay attention to you know. There's nothing that really is cross correlated. I may see some trends. I may see something cool that I'll say, "Wow!" And I walked into a booth last year and the guy was demonstrating a. Um, a system that, uh, you know, remarkably, well, not remarkably, um, is that even a word? Uh, what we see a lot of times are prototypes. Something will walk in and mm-hmm. someone will show us something. It won't be completely working right. The demo goes badly. But I was in a room there where a demo was going on and they had a podcasting directory tied to their, and I thought, wow, that's cool. So, of course, then I pulled out the other business card and gave it to them when I left. But the... Um, that product never made it to market. So 
part of the things that we have to really look for when we're going through is I always ask, is this a prototype or is this in production? Is this uh, been released? And many times they won't even let you touch a product because it's not real. It's just mm-hmm. a mock-up. So, um, you know, that is the risk I run into as a content creator here is looking for, you know, trying to find the stuff that, well, I want to find the stuff that's going to be cool. But at the same time, all right, if I've talked to you and spent time with you and done the production time to put your your piece up online and then three months later you go belly up and it the product doesn't make market, well, there's a wasted 30 minutes of my time or 45 minutes of time in dollars for having interviewed you. So we try to kind of look at that from a standpoint too. Is, is this really going to make it to market or not? And yeah. sometimes vendors don't like our frank questions. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's a little too probing, huh? <laughs> well, you know, you're, you yeah. know, you have to go with a, in with a doubtful eye. You know, if it's a prototype, you're like, is this really ready? Are you really ready to come to market with something? But again, that's non-podcast related. It's purely on the content side. Right, right. Yeah, because it seems like, I mean, uh, would, would Google and the Amazon folks, would they have, uh, you know, like... Uh, you know, new technology that they're they're going to present. You think around um, the these smart devices and the smart because um, I know that they've they've talked about having this stuff built into cars and having it built into other other types of devices. I, I was just curious if if we could see an early glimpse of what those guys may be working on. Well, I've seen a lot of stuff, Alexa. And, oh crap! I'm I sorry know, if I just okay. triggered your device. <laughs> I've seen A-L-E-X-A enabled devices, A-L-E-X-A enabled devices. You know, I've seen a lot of the press releases with uh, really rudimentary products that you thought, why would they embed A-L-E-X-A in that device? But, you know, that's the buzzword right now. So if yeah. you have something that's digitally connected or Internet of Things, you know, they wanted to have uh, – you know, have that in there. You don't see too much of this crossing over into the Microsoft or the Google products, and maybe a little more on Google, but uh, definitely Amazon has been very, uh, very effective in getting, uh, you know, ALXA embedded into uh, lots of Internet of Things, and we'll see a lot of that at the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of it, what the hot trends are. I'm I'm sure they're kind of what we all might expect, you know, um, but, you know, there's always new TVs, new AI devices, um, you know, this Oculus, that kind of stuff, you know. Well, I tell you what's hot is health tech, you know, with an aging population of baby boomers with, uh, you know, good disposable income. The amount of health tech is, you know, there's probably 800 vendors here with health tech stuff. So. You know, it's not a small category at all. And in the area that we're working in, and the, the the hall we're in is uh the Sands Exhibition Center, and that's really where all the startups are, and where all health tech and home connected devices are. So a lot of the content you're going to see, if you watch our content, it's going to be at it starting at 10 a.m. on TPN TV on Tuesday. You'll see a lot of health tech, a lot of uh, internet connected, home interconnection, all that type of gear, along with a lot of gadgets. So um, you know, part of our um, strategy is to be able to show uh, the folks watching our content uh, new product that are going to be introduced in the market that can fit in a one, 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 one and a half by one and a half foot square. Um, so basically, I'm not bringing in, you know, the the robots and the 
you know, the big speakers and the TVs, you know, we're not focused on that stuff. We're focused on the price line between really uh, forty nine ninety nine and maybe twelve ninety nine price point for, uh, you know, type of stuff that you would consider buying as a consumer if you went into Best Buy or some other type of uh, right. uh place that you're going to buy products from but anyway that's what we do for ces and again for those of you that are not familiar it's basically i add this as a new channel to uh, my podcast in uh, that's in available via apple podcast and it it it's a special media feed that i have available it doesn't go on my regular podcast feed but it's added value content mm-hmm. that brings new listeners to my show right. because they've right. discovered the content through the you know through google or however yeah, I'm sure that there'll also be a lot of other kind of uh, more watches and stuff like that um, that are going to oh, be yeah. Yeah, shown off down there too. And maybe over time, more of those watches are going to have podcast abilities built into them, kind of like what Apple did. So yep. it'll be interesting to, to see that, that develop as well. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, as you find stuff, definitely let, let us know. We can talk about it uh, you know, on the next episode of the show yeah. or something like that. That'd be cool. But uh, so I mean, yeah, go go ahead, Todd. So just to kind of switch topics here, um, did you see that Spotify has a job announcement out for a podcast ad salesperson? Yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now. It's on my screen. <laughs> oh, so you and I are on the same page. So, hmm, what does that mean? I don't know. It could could mean a lot of stuff. I you know, if you think back to. I don't know if I think back to my early conversations with the Spotify folks, they they always had the, I thought based on what they told me, that they always had the thought that they were going to get involved in podcast advertising to some degree. I'm not sure, you know, what it means now. You know, it's been a couple of years since they, they mentioned that to me. I did it. You know, I did an interview with one of their their leadership folks uh, like, I don't know, two and a half years ago or something like that, and I lost the recording. So, um, and they they talked about it, and it was like, you know, we're going to get in somehow, and it's just like, you know, how, how they're going to do it and what this product manager, uh, it's basically a senior product manager position for podcast advertising. And, it, and if I read into it a little bit, it, it talks about – this position building out native audio advertising in the Spotify podcast experience. Now it doesn't specifically say that they're going to put ads in podcasts audio. It doesn't say anything specific to that. What it talks about is um, in the experience. Now I, I, you know, you can read into that what you would want to, and it does, um, you know, kind of link up, uh, you know, kind of new types of advertising in the streaming podcast space, which I thought was an interesting kind of combination of terms that they used in this. Um, but I do know that they're on track to um, open it up uh, to be more of a pass-through platform. So that could enable more advertising coming in uh, based on the use of dynamic ad insertion. So, you know, that, but that wouldn't be advertising that necessarily comes from Spotify, though. So it's interesting. So, so I, so I guess the my thought process here really is probably in the questions it raises in my mind is maybe four or five things. Number one, are they going to be putting ads in between content? Number two, right. are they going to be putting pre rolls in before the content? Right. Number three, 
Are they going to be reaching out to the content creators and placing ads within the content? And yeah, I guess maybe that's the combination. I think it could be one or all of the above, but I, you know, and then, oh, then the next question is, okay, so if they do do pre-roll, then that means really they don't have to do revenue share. But that does raise the challenge that if I'm uh, got my have my podcast uh, customers all on pass through, if they run a oh, let's just say a Geico ad as a pre roll, and they run a Allstate ad as a pre roll, would there not be conflict? And right. how is that going to be sorted out? And it raises a lot of questions, and I just wonder if some folks will be a little less enthused to promote Spotify if they know that they're going to be competing for, you know, ad – well, I guess not ad dollars, but for ad effectiveness within their shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that Spotify wants to be um, doing a program that sacks up advertising on top of um, – ads that are already in shows i i think it would create a bad listening experience i i, I would think so so you know ha- having this dual pre-roll type of situation isn't i don't think it's a smart move on their part but you know who knows right we just don't know exactly what their their thinking is and i agree with you there, there's a definitely a, a couple of different ways that they could approach this that um could either be okay or could either be you know very disruptive um, so it's, you know, I've always thought that what they would, what they should do is if they're going to do advertising in the podcast experience, they need to get into a, a direct relationship with the content creator and somehow enable that content creator to give them ad free content <clears throat> and that they would do the dynamic ad insertion themselves into their own platform, uh, into a rev share with the content creator. That would be the logical way that I would see how this might work um but i can also see a lot of the bigger content producers uh wanting to do their own ad assertion and being in control of that across all of their distribution not just uh, one platform like spotify the problem too is is if you if they get into a direct relationship with the podcaster then you have the challenge then of okay so let's say that that podcaster has ads in their show already. Right. They want an ad-free version of the show delivered to them. Then you're running into a whole new logistical nightmare of reworking technology that's been put in place, um, right. having to provide a new feed or a different feed. Maybe the listing then changes, or do you keep the same listing if they change the feed origination point? There's a, it's, this is not a, you know, and who's going to be left to deal with that? It's going to be the providers, you know, the right. partners. And right. are we going to make any of that revenue? Probably not. Well, uh, so we already again, have doing, a, I mean, at least uh, f- from our end, we already have a unique feed going to those guys. So, well, we and, do. We do as well. We're currently but we, providing them an ad free version of their podcast right now. So, I mean, well, until they've made the switch to, to pass through. Um, you know, that's been that, which they haven't officially switched over. I know some people, they, they have switched over to pass through. 
Um, but well, others, we're we're not we're yet. feeding them original content. We're not we're not feeding them non any content. If the if the content has ads in it, it has ads in it. You know, we're not uh, we're not what, feeding them anything but the original content. What are you doing? Any dynamic ad insertion into shows yet, or? But I'm not feeding whatever ads are in those shows go in those shows. If it's in there already, it goes. Right, if in, it's in like a host spot, read right. or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. No, it's it's same with us. I mean, I mean, it was always okay to have host reads or uh, basically baked in ads pass into Spotify already. Uh, it's just the it's just the dynamic stuff they didn't want in there originally, and that's that's what a lot of the bigger companies like NPR and those folks that are using a lot of dynamic ad insertion. Um, really objected to and didn't um, allow their content into Spotify until they did a pass-through relationship. So, and so when I say pass-through, what I'm talking about is more of an Apple type relationship, um, which would be that they, you know, the, the playing platform takes the content the way it is, not in some special format, kind of like what Spotify's asked for here more recently. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, we'll just you know anything that puts revenue dollars in the podcasters' pockets, I'm for. Right. I just uh, you know I don't want to have to end up being the the person that has to uh, you know basically change our entire infrastructure because they all of a sudden decide to implement something new, which has happened a couple of times now. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, I think it's happened. Yeah. So there's a a. You know, there's a precedent for that. So we'll we'll just have to see what what they wind up doing here. But uh, like you say, Todd, there's certainly a lot of pathways that they can they could go with this. And it, this could be just a display thing too. It could be who knows what it could be, right? Maybe mm-hmm. they're they're selling ads into original uh, shows that Spotify is going to to do, which they've started pursuing as well. So maybe this. I don't know though, but I mean, if I if I read this job announcement, it says senior product manager, which tells me that this is this is something that is bigger than just a, an ad sales role. It's more of a like we're going to build some sort of a software solution here. It's a product, which means that it's a much bigger initiative than just you know an ad sales into some original content. One thing's for sure is podcasters are going to have to become more flexible with this new paradigm because if you think about it a little bit, what we essentially could end up having is, um, you know, the the situation where you have a Spotify that is monetizing on top of your content um, and the price of being on the platform is allowing them to do that. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen, but I think it's a pretty good indication that it, it potentially is. So I think only time will tell there on that. But um, I think that is, you know, the reality that we're facing at this point. Yeah, I agree with you in your comment earlier that it's very likely that, that what we're talking about here is um, um, ads that are placed between the episodes, right? So if you play a back-to-back experience, um, more like a linear streaming experience that uh, Spotify could inject an ad in between your episodes uh, as a base minimum, but that does create kind of a kind of a weird kind of uh, experience if there's other ads in there as well. 
um, because putting it in between episodes is almost like running a, a pre-roll and a mid-roll or, or a pre-roll and a right. post-roll at, and the, a same post-roll time, at the same right? time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, <clears throat> it does kind of create a, an odd listening experience, but you know, maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. I think for, for many years, I, I think Stitcher did something like that. So, um, I don't know that they took a lot of heat for that at the time though. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, well, well, we'll, we'll keep following it and we'll let you know as we learn what's going on here, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess then, um, you know, I was again, head down and I wasn't following the news very close on what was going on this week, but I saw that Wowza has announced that they are going to be, um, becoming, trying to become IEB certified as well. So I think that raises the total number of companies to eight, yeah. uh, which is uh, interesting because you've got two companies so far that are non-IEB members that are pursuing certification. So um, I'm real curious on that price tag. I wonder what they're charging the non-IEB members for the cert. It, I'd love to see that that price point and see what any, anybody of those, if Wowza, if you want to just slip me that information, I'd love to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt anybody will tell us, but, um, maybe I'll just ask Amit how much they are, but I, I haven't sent him a, a, a text to ask and he probably wouldn't tell me anyways, but, um, well, I think it, it would be good, good for them to, to, to tell us what the you know what the price is for being a member versus not being a member, I think it's a fair question. You know, so, yeah, yeah. Because it's go ahead. I mean, it's oh, it's obvious that that more and more companies are jumping on board with this. I, I think they're feeling the pressure to um, to get a standard. You know basically adopted because if they're if they have any ambition to getting into the, the advertising business or if they want to have shows on their platform that are monetizing that they they need to have this this done um yep though i do um want to pose the the question todd I, and it's come up um and s- some other folks that i talked to is uh, just because we have this standard and everybody's um, kind of using the same baseline standards, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, all the numbers are going to be exactly the same, right? I mean, it should be your... really, they should be really no, close, close, close. But there's still really going to be a little bit of variability, probably between because you're you've got a different kind of whitelist than we have, right? So there's going to be a little bit of variability still. So I think we. I think it's important for us to set the expectation that, you know, it's going to be like plus or minus what 5% or something like that, probably. But Uh, I I would hope it would be closer, you know, I, and we'll see, we'll have to see. I know that we had a podcaster earlier in the week say that they're leaving us or not using our stats because Podbean stats were higher. And I'm like, okay, well, um, uh, I sent you an e- I basically sent an email, say, hey, listen, uh, just so you know, <laughs> you know, we went through this process, and I turned them on to a couple of uh, posts that we had made, and said, you know, maybe, uh, maybe your numbers are higher over there because they're not completely following the spec. They shouldn't be that much higher if they are. 
I was right. trying to be fair to Podbean at the same time, but he wouldn't tell me what the delta actually was. And, and you know, was he showing, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20, 25% delta? We, we, I don't know what that number was because he wouldn't tell me. So, uh, but, uh, you know, he was definitely concerned enough about our numbers being lower that he did not want to, uh, he was much happier with his, uh, with his Podbean numbers. So I think that raised a little bit of concern for me. That's, I haven't seen too many of those type of emails, but, um, I think there is going to be some reckoning here across the space with, uh, shows having, uh, you know, some daylight put to their numbers and when the or, or daylight put to their processing system and when it does there's going to be some change that podcasters are not going to be happy with i spoke with um the folks i, I guess the best uh, most people know it as the mouth podcast uh it's the uh, the word from mouth yeah. And I spoke with uh, for about forty five minutes. I don't. Did you get a chance to listen to that? Yeah, I did. Actually, episode, I, that, that yeah, interview. I didn't I hear did. the whole thing, but I I heard the probably the first twenty minutes of it or so. Yeah, yeah, it was good. So I, I, I was. Think, yeah, I think it was good to get get that information out there and what you talked about. I think it's important for people to to understand. So for those that haven't listened to it. Um, there had been an uh, there was an episode that they had put out with another individual several weeks ago that I had some concerns about the messaging that was being portrayed in that episode, and I uh, basically sent an email to the producer saying, "Hey, I, I think you guys need a little bit of ground truth, or you know, um, on where we really are in the space." And but the, the takeaway I took from that interview as we got deeper into it is, is they really. Uh, that that team really wants to be able to target uh, specific individuals. They want to be able to use some of the tools that have been developed in the digital space. You know, we've all done it. We've done a search on Amazon for a let's example a toaster, and we didn't buy that toaster. But yet, three, four, five, two weeks later, we're getting sidebar ads for toasters on a variety of services or even Amazon itself is retargeting, trying to remind you, hey, you look for a toaster. So some of that technology that's being used in the digital space is, uh, well, I'll, I'll be honest, the, there are significant systems in the digital world that if, if I wanted to target you, Rob, I could, I could target you pretty yeah. easily yeah. with a lot of, the, and I'm saying you, aka you, not not your wife, you, um, that I could target you pretty easily. Uh, podcasting companies have not employed, at least I don't think so, have not employed that level of uh, targeting at this point. No. So, so I think, though, they are of the mind that they want it to be able to target more effectively and – they need this additional data that, you know, some of the other measuring systems that are supposedly being tried to put online will come into play. But I'm kind of the opinion. I think we've got a pretty good handle of what our audiences is already. And and the point I made was, number one, we're surveying our audiences. We know the demo. We know who's listening, the makeup. We know that the deltas, if you know, if you've done an audience survey and did a basic demographic survey, you, you know, you're, your mix of a male, female, you know, your mix of married, unmarried, you, you know, your mix of people that have kids or not. The kids that are at home are, are grown, uh, income levels, 
you know, you've got all that data from the demographic data to basically get a picture of who your audience really is. And then you've got your feedback from your audience. It's sending you emails and saying, hey, this is Tony, and I loved your your topic about this. And maybe they give a little personal information. And, you know, you, you build this uh, – you start to build this rapport with your audience and having these conversations. So as a podcaster, you know who your audience is. And when an advertiser comes to you that brings a product that, you know, is – you'll say, yeah, that's going to fit my audience or uh, it'll, it'll, it'll match a portion of my audience. And if you can be honest with a media buyer, when they ask that question, it goes a long ways into setting expectations on how an ad deal is going to do. But – I'm a little bit uncomfortable on the privacy side in doing targeting. Now, we know that because of GDPR, affiliate marketing has been really devastated. Mm -hmm. um, I have it on very good uh, – a um, lot of feedback from a lot of different vendors that GDPR uh, took away a huge percentage of their affiliate online marketing um, return on value. In other words, their their sales are down uh, because of affiliate, affiliate marketing sales are, are um, in the crapper. Um, if someone has uh, information to say, contrary to my opinion here, please do and, and give me some sources. But GDPR has heavily impacted uh, affiliate marketing. And with um, this cross-pollination of data between companies is very challenging when it comes to GDPR rules. So I'm – and as I kind of expressly said during that interview, I, I think we uh, – I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon and having that type of targeting capability. And, and as a podcaster, as a company, I said, wow, that's great. But as a podcaster, mm, I'm just kind of like, do I really want to be that intrusive? I, I, I have misgivings. Yeah, it's. I mean, I know it's it's the battle between um, giving what the advertiser wants versus giving what the listener wants too. I mean, is targeting good for the listener or is targeting just good for the the advertiser? Um, and I think you could probably make a little bit of a case that targeting might be a little bit better for the for the listener because. <clears throat> Maybe it, the the ad or the product is more relevant to them, potentially. Um, it's just outside of the of the U.S. Though it's uh, you know with the GDPR stuff, it's it, it's less of a of a viable option to do that kind of stuff. It seems like. Well, we we applied our GDPR stuff to our entire global yeah. enterprise. So right, right. but you know, it's here, hard here's not the, to here's... right. It's hard not to I mean, right, it's, right. It's too complex to. Have it targeted like that, right? But here's here's another thing, that, Rob. I don't think you and I have addressed that I have concerns about. So right. we have shows now that are new, small, that are potentially going to be running podcast advertising in their content, maybe earlier than, than they should. I often will tell a podcaster that's new. Uh, maybe you should wait and build your audience and um, get a little time under your belt before you introduce advertising to your show. I don't tell them no, but I kindly suggest to them maybe they should. 
And if you want to prep your audience, which I did, I prepped my audience from the beginning saying at some point we'll introduce advertising to the show. I was up front about it so that they didn't get smacked in the face when I did. And that, that paid off dividends to me in the end because uh, then it came back as congratulations, you've monetized a show, blah, blah, blah. So I think that um, – we have a risk of running ads in some shows too early that could stifle their growth and could turn listeners away from podcasting um, because we've just become another a commercialized medium. Mm-hmm. So I want to caution podcasters that – you have to weigh the value of what you're going to earn from that advertising deal. So if if you're looking for um, dinner money, which I, I consider dinner money, you know, uh, when my wife and I go out to dinner and, you know, it's it's not a $100 ordeal. It's a $60, $70, you know, tab. That's the kind of dinner. Money. Now, now, if you're looking for anniversary money where you're taking her to, uh, you know, a fine dining establishment and, you know, the check comes, you know, the wine alone costs 80 bucks and, you know, you're looking at a three or $400 uh, tab for an anniversary dinner. Well, that's different kind of money. So, but if you're looking for dinner money uh, being, you know, $50, $60 a month, is that dinner money worth the is it worth having put the advertising in your show? Now, I'm, you know, as a CEO of a company that makes money, a percentage of revenue on advertising, I, you know, this is a risky thing to say. But, I, you know, I, I think that this, the space and podcasters have to think about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I don't each, know, Rob, each, uh, each podcaster needs to make that choice for themselves. You know, what's... What I they, agree. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and then also... You know, you do have to keep your audience in mind, um, but yeah, I don't. You know, I, I don't know. I was reading through the 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 predictions article that was out um, that the Rain News put out here the last couple of days for 2019. I thought it was interesting. I had opportunity to contribute to it, and I just didn't send in <laughs> my contribution to it. Um, but it's. Uh, it's, it's you know some of the quotes in here in the rain predictions for 2019 around podcasting are kind of interesting you know Andy Bowers from Panoply Media had an interesting quote in here um that that I think really resonates with the things that we've been talking about that um as you look to 2019 I think the industry needs to be you know wary of something and that is the choices uh, we as podcast community make in 2019, and this kind of correlates to what you were just saying, Todd, will determine whether podcast advertising remains a high-quality, high-CPM business or embarks on a race to the bottom. So I hope we uh, uh, we can all agree which of those we want to see. Now, you know, obviously, <laughs> seeding that question, Andy, um, that, that we obviously all want to see higher CPM um, deals being, being done. So, um, you know, and I think, and he's also kind of pigeonholing this programmatic versus I think baked in host read type, um, advertising or some merger between the, the host read type content ads, uh, with the whole 
dynamic side. But I think the bigger question really is, is the combination of the new IEB metric standard, um, you know, leveling the field of um, what the numbers are versus what the um, ad buyers are buying into shows. You know, we don't really have a, and this was one of the, the reasons for the discussions around having an association or having a kind of a, you know, over overreaching, um, I don't know if overreaching is the right word, but um, kind of overseeing organization for the whole industry to keep everybody on the same page here. Um, and and as a pathway, really, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but it's a pathway against the, the, the ad buyers, right? We all need to kind of like think of this as an industry and think of it as a cohesive entity. Um, how do we, how do we as an industry keep the CPM levels up higher, Todd? I, th- I think that's, I mean, I, I do agree with Andy that there is a concern that there could be a race to the bottom and that, that does kind of play into the hands of the advertisers and the media buyers out there. If we're all kind of like stray cats that are not working together and we're all kind of fighting over scraps, right? We'll take what we can get, right? Uh, that well, we, we've already we've already right. we've already seen some of that. We've been right. dealing with a person or a company that's willing to. Well, it wasn't a race to the bottom. It was because they're. Their methodology of counting uh, forced the media buyers to say, hey, we're not paying you this much. And then they were using that against uh, other entities in the space, and we had to battle for the higher CPMs because, you know, listen, I'm not measuring the way that guy is, and he's measuring wrong. You know it, so why am I being penalized because of the way he's measuring? So – um you know, we've had to battle this a little bit already, but at the same point, what happens is is desperation to um, let me say this gently. Desperation for company survivability will cause someone to take lower CPMs and will hurt the industry. So, if your business model is completely dictated upon how much money you're going to make from advertising revenue and how much money that you're going to bring in through donor donations and the percentage of the cut you're going to have that, that could be disruptive to the point that it takes the whole space down and right. the, the implying company doesn't survive. Yeah. Well, I guess in an open market like this, I, I think there's always a danger of that happening. But, but again, that's worst right. case scenario. I, right. I don't think it's going to get to that point. Um, yeah, but what is an, what can we do as an industry overall to to drive that CPM up and and keep keep a strong negotiating stance against you know versus the advertising buyers that can you know play us off of each other to to potentially drive well, CPMs down. I don't think you can. I think it's actually. I think it's illegal. I don't think you can can uh, uh what's that word that's being popular in the press right now uh collude uh collude <laughs> i don't think we can collude together to no, keep cpms correct. high i, no, I don't no. think that's i think that is but i think that we all know where the where the base is on right. most ad deals being done today um if the base is good and the advertisers happy on ROI Right. Um, those vendors will stay there, but new vendors joining the space 
especially brand advertisers, may be uh, looking to exploit this and you know bring us down to CPM levels that YouTubers type make. So, you know, and if we get to that point, let's be frank. Let's be frank. If the if the CPMs go to YouTube levels, which could be six, eight, ten, maybe as high as twelve, um, and I don't think most YouTube buys are at twelve. I think they're more about six and eight uh, CPM. Um, depends on the buy, and of course, YouTube has a lot of what they. Uh, Commonly referred to in the radio space as, uh, oh my God, I'm pulling a brain fart here. Uh, the stuff that runs at three o'clock in the morning. What is that? Oh, That's, remnant. Uh, uh, remnant. Right. You know, so there's really no remnant content in podcasting, but YouTube takes a lot of remnant, so it's even lower. And um, radio takes a lot of remnant, which is dirt cheap. So. Being non, that there is no real prime time remnant, kind of hours, right? Yeah, yeah, and being that there is really no remnant in podcasting because we're, everything's on demand, right? The uh, um, that means that only the big shows and the shows that are doing hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand downloads can essentially afford to be able to go to the lower CPM levels. You know, if you think about it, if we're holding it 20 or 25 uh, gross, not net, if we're holding it 25, let's say 20 gross, and that, you know, that ends up being, depending on your revenue share, back to the podcaster net of 15 or 16 or whatever it may be, um, you know, if, if the podcaster just does a simple math and figures out, okay, that's what my show's going to earn. If the CPMs go to six, most of those shows will say, forget it. Yeah, it's not worth it mm-hmm. to take a 50 or 60% cut or 75% cut in potential revenue. Bigger shows can weather the storm more. But so what does that mean then? It means you have to have three ads instead of one to pay the bills. But again, I, I think this only applies to a small percentage of podcasters because most. I don't think most podcasters want to monetize. I, I don't think the high majority do. Mm-hmm. I think they're happy hooking up with their friends and doing a show and maybe building a business or building their um, their CV uh, in the space and their uh, authority. You know, that's as valuable as running advertising. I, this is why. Why do I go to CES to continue to build my uh, Geek News Central tech authority? Right. Right. Well, and having advertisers linked up uh longer term with shows i i've always liked that model that like you've done um it's hard it, to maintain yeah well it is I, yeah i'm sure i i'll be honest i get nervous every you know my, my report came in yesterday i get very nervous waiting for the report every month because you're thinking did i meet my did i meet my numbers did i hit my you know, or am I on probation? You know, because there's been a couple of times where I had a couple of slow months and they've said, hey, uh, you know, what can we do to help you out here to get these numbers back up? And we've collaborated and, you know, the numbers have rebounded. And, you know, but every month you're like, is this the end? After what? And what? Uh, how many years, Todd? <laughs> You've been well, Rob, but you, you, going through this yeah, every this month? Is The pressure is even more for me. Think about it. I've been at this with the same advertiser since June of 2005. So if anybody's at risk, I am. Right. 
you know, well, in some and, ways, in some ways, Todd, you can make a case that you've you've weathered that uh, amount of time. Why why would you not continue? <laughs> well, and and they feel that way too, to an extent. Right. But let's be frank, they are a business, and businesses have one thing that they have to do: make money. Mm-hmm. All right, and if it is, and I'm going to be. This is my. My topic that I'll be talking about uh, throughout the next year is okay. You got the ad deal, <laughs> all right. What's next? You know what? What do you need to do to keep that advertiser happy? You know, and I'm going to be going through these trials and tribulations and what you face, and you know, it is in the relationship and what you have to do to make sure that advertiser stays happy and content and being aware of content topics that maybe you can't talk about. You know, and this is a pure contrast to, and I, I, I always snicker because the No Agenda show is a show that's completely, um, purely donation model and anyone that hasn't listened to it you got to listen to a couple of episodes just to listen to it to figure out what they're doing there and what will shine through very very quickly within one or two episodes is you're going to understand that there are topics that they talk about on their show that there is no way on this god's green earth that they could do if they had an advertiser the advertiser would quit they would fire them. They would say, you're no way, no how. I'm going to be associated with this type of content. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And we're in, a, we're in a time today where an advertiser is a very brand um, – they're risk-adverse. And it's just the, the times we're in, all it takes is one or two people to complain about content that you're advertising in, and you'll lose an advertiser. Now, GoDaddy's been really, really good. But I also have a tech show, and there's not a lot of content that's super controversial that they're going to get pissed off enough about that they're going to pull the plug on me. But most shows are not in the same situation. They're talking about things that – could cause an advertiser to become squeamish and get a few complaints and they're gone. So right. um, so my point is is not only do you, is that getting the deal part of it is the part of the deal is keeping the deal and keeping the advertiser happy. Um, my goal has always been to get repeat quarter after quarter after quarter RFPs and it's very, very hard to do because podcasters get lazy. The ad reads get loose. The numbers go down. And the uh, and in the end, the podcast, the advertiser moves on to the next target, and um, so I'm I'm pretty sensitive to all of this, having you know been really 14 years in the can here with well going on 14 years, uh, actually going on 15 years, excuse me, no, 14 years, 14 years in June, um, month to month, when my numbers come in. Did I? You know, did I meet my nut? Did I meet my number? You know, did I did I hit the goal? Um, and uh, I did. So I was like, okay, I'm good to February. <laughs> <laughs> now there's next month that you have to be stressed about, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, not really stressed, but you know, I when I know the numbers are running low, I do have some some indicators. I'll tell the audience, hey. <laughs> Uh, you guys need to step up. Um, we're, we're we're a little behind this month, and and they do. So I don't do that every month. I don't do that every show. I don't do that. And when I when the when the audience 
has supported the sponsor and have and we've hit our numbers. I thank them. I thank the audience. Right. Thank you for supporting. Thank you know, and make sure that they're appreciated for for supporting the the content. Um, you know, I can buy food for another month. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a lot there, but oh, oh, but yeah. holding the CPM, Rob, going back to holding the CPM, um, I, I think it's all about good ad reads and delivering performance. If we can do that, we'll hold the CPMs. Right. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's about the return on investment for right for the advertisers. Now, granted, you know our. Return on investment is is a fairly subjective thing too, right? Um, it depends on what your goal is. Not for DR. Well, not for DR. They're yeah, they're black true. and white. Well, that's true, but what what an advertiser considers a successful campaign is dependent on how greedy they are. <laughs> right. Right. Well, right. I try to get that number up front when we're in. I said, "What? Okay. What? What is?" The acquisition. So you're going to spend a thousand dollars. Is fifty acquisitions the goal? You know, what is, what is, what will you, and I try to get that out and sometimes they won't tell you, but I'll often say what, you know, what will, where will you consider this to be a success? How many trials, how many, you know, new product sales? I try to get that out up front and I I put that, I put that in my uh, documentation so that remember on December 13th, we talked about that you would be happy if you got 50 sales out of this campaign. We did. Let's do another RFP. So yeah. they can't come back and say, well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some so there, companies, believe it or not, Rob, don't know what right. a successful campaign looks like. That's the ones that shock you. Yeah. Well, yeah. What do they, what, if, especially if they're, they're new advertisers, right? They don't have a history of, of, uh, right. of conversions. And so they're, and, and I believe that we're going to see more of that. I mean, as you look to the new year here, um, there's going to be more and more of these buy marketplaces that are going to come online where, where um, smaller and smaller companies are going to be able to come in and buy their own advertising. Um, on. And I think that's a big trend as you look to the future too, is that a lot of the ad buying that's been happening, especially on the programmatic side, has been happening from the big agencies and the big um, big brands and things like that that have been coming in and running. You know, I'm talking about the Geico ads and things like that that are typically yep. on the on the radio side. Um, but as you look at the future, um, more and more, I think um, smaller companies, medium-sized companies, more local companies will start buying into podcasting too. And with the power of dynamic and the ability to geo-target, um, it becomes a little bit more of a viable medium for small to mid-sized companies around the country and around the world, frankly. Um, to but that has to become right. that has to become self-serve because right, it, it does. It, yeah, and and so I I believe we there's a lot of people in the industry that push back on this that um, that the kind of hostry type formats or the talent read type formats is does not scale when it comes to programmatic. Um, and I think that's there's probably a good point there. Um, I I'm not as convinced that it's impossible. Um, I think I think people put that barrier up because they've they've seen a lot of history of this um, being more of a manual purchase, kind of a manual buy type of situation. I think that there is a pathway, and Todd, I think we've talked about it a lot over the years 
that I, I, I think that is kind of the, the model that I think we're going to see work the best in the future is these programmatic type ad buying platforms that support um, uh, talent type reads that are more formatted and presented in a way that's more like a regular host read or, or host endorsed spot um, that is utilizing dynamic ad insertion. The, the days of uh, baked in live reads, I think, are, are numbered as they should be because we've been giving away a lot to these advertisers um, over long-term um, baked in ads um, that we don't get credit for. And but at the same point, I hate to say it, and having dealt with, well, I just I, there's a dirty side to this, not a dirty side, and maybe I shouldn't say well, that. Well, it's there's a, downside, a right. there's a downside is that I have to be an absolute asshole to some podcasters because. <sighs> yeah, I know. Yeah. You have to, you know, we're going to have to have podcasters that understand what's at stake here. And if they want to run advertising in their shows, they have to give more than a half-hearted effort. They have to, if they really want advertising in their shows and want it to be effective, they they need to be a little creative. They need to be sincere. They need to make sure they deliver, over-deliver on the, on the ad reads, um, be genuine. If you don't like a product, don't take the ad deal because people can smell a fraud a mile away. Um, there's well, just Todd, some things that. I mean, Todd, that's that's why the um, the concept of talent reads comes into play because then that that gets taken out of the equation. Um, but then yeah. effective as on CPMs, I think, are going to go down. Oh, you think so? So, yeah, if you if you bring someone other if 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 I had someone other than myself do the ad in my show, right. it wouldn't be my audience. No, not have the same value because I'm using my reputation. I'm putting my reputation, my authority on the line to say, "Go try this." I don't. I've turned ad deals down. I told a vendor I wouldn't advertise that if you paid me a million dollars. Well, let me put it to you this way: uh, What if you were to pre-record your your uh, your endorsement read? Well, that's and, fine. If as long as it's, 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 if I pre- the, yeah, the tool, right? Yeah, that's 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 fully acceptable. That's still my voice, right? Yeah, right. And, you know, no issues there. It's the yeah. same. It's the same thing. Right. It's, so, but I don't want some third-party voice on my show. Right. You know, I know some shows um, don't want to do baked-in reads for, you know, for whatever reasons. But most, I mean, I agree, Todd. Most of them, if you look at the history, for me, for me, for me, a baked, for me, a baked-in read and a and a injected read are the same, long as they're from from me. Right. And I know that the the only difference with the baked-in read versus the injected read Mm -hmm. is that after thirty days or whenever the campaign ends, the 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 injected ad gets pulled, yeah. but it again goes back to this long, you know, this long discussion I've had about podcasting. Is I don't think we're really truly giving up anything by having these baked in ads because ninety percent of all yeah. podcasts globally achieve ninety percent of their lifetime downloads within the first ninety six hours. So, <laughs> well, there you go. 
So shows that are considered to be more kind of long term content, right? The the evergreen content is the is a term are are the ones really I guess we're talking about here. And yeah, are of course. Fairly, fairly unique, right? And it, and if you have evergreen content and you're leaving that advertising in there, you better stop. You know, right. because you're throwing money away. Yeah. Right. But I mean, what, most most shows are not evergreen. Yeah, I was going to say, what percentage do you think of the podcasting space would you consider to be evergreen content? Like I said, ten percent. Ten percent. Okay. People people say, "Oh, my show's evergreen." I'm like, "Okay, evergreen means to me that you're getting appreciable downloads." <laughs> right. What is an appreciable significant, download? Significant. Yeah, downloads. significant appreciable downloads. You you ask Grammar Girl at Quick and Dirty Tips. Um, some of her episodes and, in in if I'm, I'm re- I think I've said this before, so I'm really not revealing anything. She has episodes that get as many downloads three years after they've been released as they did the first month they were released. That, that my friends is the type of content that you want to strive for. That is over time that that content can make you very rich. Yeah. So on that note, I mean, how does this show do on that? I mean, uh, we do okay from yeah. an evergreen standpoint because people once, I think once people discover us, then they start going backwards to us, and they and typically we have we have pretty good long tail. But it's you know I we're not doing fifty thousand downloads no, uh, an episode, no, you know. No, no. So our our evergreen length is is appreciable in the size of the audience that we have, but would it make a difference on from an advertising host rate? No, you know, it would be, you know, a, a, a couple of bucks. <laughs> <You're right>. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not going to earn us appreciable income, you know, and I think that maybe that's the next case is okay. So if you've got episodes that are old, are they going to be able to have a, you know, appreciable downloads to be able to, you know, ultimately add up enough to make you some money. <laughs> right. Well, you know, Todd, I, and for 90, I, go ahead. I, I mean, I think, you know, one thing that doesn't get talked about in these predictions articles per se, I mean, I know that people talk about um, how big the advertising market's going to be. And I know people have, you know, throwing numbers around that it's going to be a billion dollar advertising market, you know, by 2020 or something like that. Um, but what is the, what is the metric that's driving that increase in that number? Is it the overall, um, uh, number of audio files that are being listened to on a global basis? Um, is is escalating at a rate that's driving that advertising number to go up, or is it it's uh, some only other thing, factor? Two factors: number of ads and shows. Right. So we've seen some vendors. I've seen ad loads as high as five, which is crazy, in my opinion. Yeah. So, so you have an ad load. Let's say you can have a supportable ad load of three and a show, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe four. So it would be ad load, and I think majority of the growth has got to be in. Well, it's 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 just a, if you're going to get to a billion, it's easy. You 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 uh, you take a billion dollars or a billion, just a number of billion. You right. divide it by a thousand, right. <laughs> and that's where you need to be, listener wise, to get to 
and I don't, and, there, and then that could be a combination of multiple ads per episode, but that's the combination you need to, you know, that's where you, you need to multiply. Well, it shouldn't be, no, let's do that. I did the math wrong. You take a billion dollars, let's just use a number of. Well, you have to have an average what? CPM, right? An average CPM number, right. So 20, 25, whatever it may be, let's say 20. That's probably a little <laughs> high on average, would you say? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen an ad deal come in under 20 in a long time. Well, but you're more and more starting to see programmatic come into the game here. So well, you know, I'm still that, that average number down, though. Well, then, you, then what it does, and you need more downloads. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's you know the space has to grow in listeners and has to grow in you know to get to a billion we need a lot more people listening a lot more often into a lot more shows. <laughs> right. Well, there has to be a lot more um, episodes that are being listened to by more people in order right. to get there, which drives the. The other conversation that we've been talking about on this show is the need to grow audience in this medium. If we're going to grow this industry, if we're going to grow it to be a billion-dollar industry, do we have enough inventory to sell into that advertisers want no. to buy to even no, get there? I don't think. I think if someone came and let's say I was the let's say I was the uh, the the holder of the money. <laughs> Let's hypothetically, they said Todd was given $500 million and the goal was to, uh, I couldn't sell anything higher than a $20 CPM and um, I had to sell it all within a year. I don't think I could move all the money. Right. No. I think I'd have to have every show, every episode with a two to three, two to three ad load to, to be able to move all that money globally. <laughs> right. Right. So the inventory I don't think is there to get to five hundred million. I, well, maybe I'm being proven wrong. I'd love to, someone else to run those numbers. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like I did this re I just did this reverse I did this reverse number thing recently on a Facebook post. Someone was like, Oh, they're gonna be able to, you know, survive because of this. I'm like, Well, in order to survive, you know, and I just used the fifty million download mark. You know, you have to have, you know, this is how much money, if every one of your uh, podcast episodes, or if you can deliver 50 million ads a month, this is the type of money you can make from that. And then I divided that out and I, and I basically said, can a company survive on this much money? <laughs> can they employ employees? Can they pay their payroll? Can they, you know, can they uh, pay for infrastructure, health plans, dental, 401k, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> And the answer was no, it couldn't. No way, no way possible. Maybe with a staff of. Yeah, because we are seeing the beginnings of companies that are that are building their whole um, business model uh, for that the, their existence. And I'm talking about platform companies like like ours um, that are that are counting on advertising as the as the source that's going to fund their whole business. I'll never bet completely in advertising ever. Right. Because I yeah. just know, I just do the, it's simple. You do the math. Anyone with a calculator in five minutes can see what volume you have to be at in order to have enough revenue from the advertising to survive and build a business at scale without external cash. And, you know, to me, I just I, I chuckle because it's not, you know, a fifth grader can do this math, and um, 
it, and it really, to me on paper, I look at it, I'm like, uh, I don't think so. Um, but then again, maybe I, I might be wrong and someone else has got some better mathematic skills than I do. Uh, but I, again, I, I just based on, you know, and I also look at, you know, what I know we're measuring. I know that from our customers, I know that we're probably at 125, maybe 130 million downloads a month um, across our entire space of customers and people are using our stats. So I know I have a, I have a pretty good crystal ball on to, okay, so if a, you know, if a company says they've got X number of of customers, I can very quickly do the math and say, okay, they're probably averaging X number of downloads a month. You know, so it's not hard to extrapolate. So, um, you know, I hope companies have huge success, but uh, I'm not going to bet my enterprise on advertising. So you think that the paid model is going to have a, a – a stronger and stronger place in um, 2019, 2020 timeframe? You think? Paid, well, I think we're all going to be challenged. I right. think we're all going to be challenged. I think uh, until revenue models are proven or disproven, I think uh, the free offerings are what they are, and we will have to stand up and 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 compete feature wise and and make sure that uh, you know we're paying attention to what what podcasters want, right. but. I don't think the space can move forward, survive, be viable, and bring new features and bring new, um, uh, you know, keep the space moving forward. Right? (laughs) Unless it's driven by venture capital. Well, venture capital isn't there forever. They're business people. They want return on their investment too. Right. That's the key about venture capital. It's not an endless supply of cash. Yeah. There's expectations that that ride along with that. You know, Rob, you guys could take your company public. We could take our company public. I'm not saying that we're doing that. That's another another opportunity for revenue, but then you got stockholders to answer to. Right. You know, and you look at Libsyn when they were um, on the, you know, on the, the, I think they were on the, well, they were on one of the, you know, now they're a pink sheet. So, you know, they had their challenges and they're still a public company. So, Um, you know, a lot of it wasn't their fault. It was through some, some acquisition choices that were made that went south. So, you know, their, their business was viable, but they got brutalized because of, you know, the association they had with a, with a, a another company that came in and did a reverse merger. So, um, you know, they're still a viable company. They're not going anywhere, but, uh, you know, being on the stock markets has its own risk. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I noticed in this uh, Rain News um, online kind of predictions for the industry from a lot of the the leaders in the industry. You know, one of the ones that I I get pulled to is Steve Goldstein. Um, you know, f- from the Ampli um, Media um, company. He's a he's a longtime radio executive, but but yeah. he has oftentimes some you know, some interesting takes on what's happening in this, this, this medium. And he's, I can tell that he's starting to look at this medium more from a content perspective and, and trying to think, you know, um, kind of, kind of uniqueness in the medium, 
you know, he has a quote in here, each platform is going to require its own unique content curated and mm. presented with the user in, in mind. So that, that was one of the, the interesting quotes in, in here. And I'm not sure, you know, what he includes in the concept of a platform. Um, but, but I think, um, I think we are starting to see that. And, and obviously if you look at, you know, our platform, you know, Spreaker and yours, Todd, um, we do have our own unique set of content, right? They're not content that we own or that we're responsible for or that we created. Um, but we all have our own kind of, kind of unique set of content. But I, I also believe that he's kind of saying multiple things here. I think he's saying that he also thinks that all of us need to have, you know, some sort of a place in the content creation side of the business. And then he also said in an earlier quote that um, he also felt that uh, that we will see more content in the new year disappear, and because good content is hard, which is an interesting kind of uh, take on this. And as as we see more pressure, I believe in the industry um, to kind of highlight and and um, I don't know if promote or you know, focus on, um, what is considered to be good content versus, um, more indie, indie content, which sometimes can be, um, viewed as, um, not as good of content. And I think that's the, that's the perceptional spectrum that I think that we're seeing more and more come to, 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 to pass here is this perception that there's good content and then there's amateur content again. And I think that, that is part of the evolution of this medium as <clears throat> some people in the industry think of this, this medium as like, you know, like television or radio, that there's this uh, hierarchy of, of quality. And, and, you know, I think both you and I would push back on that um, from the standpoint that I don't think that's what's um, though you could make a case that um, the high quality content is driving uh some awareness and some adoption of this medium more and more. Um, but it's the indie content, it's the independent content, it's the stuff that maybe some um, in the industry would view as less than quality content uh, has been driving audience in this medium for a long time. I know this is a complicated subject, Todd. What's your... What's your yeah, well, I've, you, 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 you already know my opinion on this. Well, I do. We started this medium without we, we started this medium and built this medium without big shows. Right. We, big shows uh, don't carry the medium; they help oh. the medium. Right. Um, but at the same point, um, there's nothing more powerful in the podcasting space today that there's no rules, no one to tell you you can't. And uh, till I take my last dying breath, I'm going to be a big fan of independent content creators and being able to create what they want on their terms and be able to put that media uh, where they want it to go. I think that uh, I appreciate the shows that are bigger that help big build awareness. Uh, there will always be breakout shows. But, you know, I, I take my own show as an example. So I'm here in Vegas. Uh, my schedules got crazy. My publishing times that I put my show out is Monday and Thursday nights. So I had a grandbaby that was born on Christmas Day, and I missed some shows because of that. So I turned the show over to my 
um, executive producer. He's done a handful of shows on his own already. Um, he is not Todd. He has not got uh, 14 or 15 years of mic time uh, behind him. But at the same point, um, I know that the shows would are not going to have uh, the same impact, but – my audience is being very proactive and providing him lots of feedback. <laughs> no, and uh, and uh, it's feedback that, you know, maybe, you know, make him a little bit, uh, you know, make him think and be a little better content producer. I, I'm not uh, uh, and I'm not going to critique him, but my audience has. And um, so but I'm at the, I'm at the point that my audience was with me in the beginning when I didn't know it thing about creating content <laughs> so if they put up with me in the early days they will put up with my executive producer not put up with they will get to enjoy my executive producer for a, a couple of episodes and um and i hope they understand that i'm trying to give an individual a chance to put some content out there and get some exposure and some feedback that he may not otherwise get so do I take a risk? Sure. Do I? Am I going to alienate a few listeners? Maybe. I don't care. It's but this is how the show has evolved. Is and some people would never think to turn their show over to someone that has not done very many episodes in the past. But um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not completely tied to the topic here, Rob. But um, the majority of content creators out there are not the 5% big shows and um, everyone has good things to say and it may not be said, said as effectively, you know, look at me, I'm destroying the mic here today. I can't hardly talk half the time. So if I can do it, anybody can do this. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. As, as well as this, this medium has always been built on that concept is that anybody can come in and, and join in and, and take, their creative ideas and, and and apply it to the market, and I don't see any trend line that's telling me that 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 is going to be uh, squelched or suppressed, or that opportunity is not going to continue. Um, though I think you know there are some in the industry that would like that side of the industry to kind of drift away, um, and I don't well, think it, that that's, that's. I think going, that would be very happen. bad. I think that would be very bad for the podcasting space. Right. Well, yeah, I and mean, I'm not. Actually, I'm not saying that just as a company owner. I'm saying that is if the okay. Where does the next stars come from? They come from the indie, right? Indie space, right? And that's that's always been the case. You know, the All right. the cream rises to the top. They they have to be given a chance, and and that's that's what this is. Um, now I did see a quote in here from our our friend Rob McCracken from Scripps. He 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 submitted his uh, his predictions for 2019. I think this is an interesting one. He said 2019 could mark the last year that host read baked in ads remain the preferred ad type, as pre-produced dynamically inserted ads become increasingly dominant in podcasting. <laughs> mm. Uh, Rob, um, I'll I'll put a C note on the table that that's not the case by the end of 2019. Yeah, well, yeah. Are you, are you down, Rob? Let's let's go. <laughs> <laughs> 
And if I eat my words, great. But I am very, very concerned that this changes us. It changes the podcasting space. Well, I, I do, do you, Rob, do you want to listen to a guy? Do you want to listen to a Geico ad in a podcast? Well, no, that's not what he's saying here. I think what he's saying here is is a pre-produced ad that would be more like a host read, um, just like what we were talking about before. He, he, well, he wasn't okay. really clear about that here in his quote, but um, okay. but I believe. I mean, if you look at what a lot of the big networks are are doing right now, um, NPR. Um, I believe the Gimlet folks and um, a lot of the big networks, what they're doing is they're they're producing host read like ads, right, for their advertisers, um, and then using the dynamic insertion technology to insert it. And I, I believe that's what Rob's okay. talking about. Okay, here. but it's essentially a host read ad produced. produced if that's yeah. the case. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Then that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about right, I, I, you know taking a radio ad and pumping it. Okay. Yeah. Well, in that case, I would probably say yes. That we'll see more of that. Right. But but I think that the spontaneity, uh, spontaneity, spontaneity. You know, right. Right. Uh, the of a of a host read. Um, I know on my show where my host read is going to be, and it's not really host read. I don't do, I don't do a read anymore. Well, you just yeah, talk I, I, about your advertiser. Don't I talk you? about it, right, yeah, right. with with a call to action. You know, right? Well, you've done it so and, and much, it, Todd. That it's, you probably right, don't even have right. to think about it very much, <laughs> right? You know, so for me, and and it and sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see, see where this goes. But how long um, are your your endorsements um, from a duration standpoint? I mean, are you like a minute and a half? Are you a minute? Are you two minutes? Which I mean, what's the average? I mean, I'm sure some you, day could be some some day yeah. could be thirty seconds. Some day could be two minutes because I can get on a tangent. I'll have a something will trip a trigger in my brain and I'll talk about something for two minutes and I'll come back to it. You know, so it's or I do an anecdotal story or something. And yeah, it, it really it all depends. You know, there is no I don't have a script. You know, that's the key. I don't have a script. I just, you know, I, I talk about the advertiser and I, I, what I like and what's going on. And if there's something I saw or if someone sent me in an email that said, hey, customer support, help me out here, I'll add that in. Or I had a bad experience and you hooked me up with someone over there. They got me fixed. I, you know, I talk about all that during the ad spot. It goes against all, you know, I put the good and the bad in there and then still come out and say, hey, go over and pick this up. For this reason, go over and pick this product right. up. I mean, Todd, I don't hear people you know, saying the word testimonial much anymore in the context of this. And well, that's I dumb. believe if it goes back to to the beginning of this medium, that's that was really the core value prop for right. these type and, of ads, right? If if I don't give a personal testimonial to the product, did they? You know, if the listener trusts me and they're listening to me. And I tell them this is a good product, and they go buy it, and it's not. I'm going to lose a listener. Well, yeah. And my credibility goes down. Right. And and I always tell people. I've told people for years during my show. If you have an issue that doesn't get resolved, you tell me because I have the resource to go to the VP or whoever and say, you know, 
literally WTF. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, (laughs) you know, fix this. Fire someone, you know. Yeah, right. (laughs) Literally, literally, you know, that's that's the type of relationship I have with the vendor. (laughs) Well, and and a lot of these advertising relationships, and that's what makes these advertising relationships kind of complex and difficult for programmatic platforms to to adopt, is that a lot of these companies would send out samples of the products to their to the show hosts. Um, You know, I've, I've heard of people getting. Casper beds, you know. Um, yeah, to, to I got one. On prior to uh, doing an ad campaign for Casper, so you know, and then I did. I, yeah. I got one, and they they only run with me for a month. Really, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you have to give them credit for, for, you know, for giving you a shot. I can't imagine that your audience was is a is a hot lead audience for that type of product, but. Um, but they gave it a shot, right? <laughs> right, and I, you know, and I gave my opinion. Uh, I didn't talk bad about the product, but I, you know, I talked about the product as I thought it was. Well, you know, yeah. early on, as I recall, <laughs> call what I think back about this type of advertising to the early days of this medium, is it? It was almost like a badge of honor for podcasters to take an ad campaign from a from a advertiser and. And talk honestly about the product on the on, right. on the show, and it wasn't always a positive endorsement. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. But to think, here's the key, though. It's just like, okay, take Casper for example. There was a perfect market for that that mattress. That was not a mattress that mom and dad would use. It's not. Right. It's not a mattress I would sleep on every day of the week. No way. But what that mattress was good for, a visitor, uh, maybe a maybe a kid's mattress for a few years. You know, there are certain use cases that that mattress was perfectly fine for, but it's not the mattress I'm going to put my butt in every night and sleep in. And Why if someone thinks that they're, huh? Why is that? I'm just curious. I mean, what was going on with there that? Is a di- there, there is a difference between a twelve or $1,500 mattress that you buy and a Casper mattress that's three ninety nine. Okay. Give me a break. <laughs> is it – what, is it too hard or is it too soft? What What was the experience? Was it painful to sleep on? Or? Uh, have, you, have you slept in a what's, – what's the, what's the mattress you sleep in in your bed now? What did you pay for it? Well, I have a – Tempur-Pedic bed. It was like okay. $1,600. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that does a certain thing for you, right? Yeah. Well, you like it because it has certain features. Well, it's just, it, it forms to your body when you sleep on it, right? Right. right. Some people like a, a number bed where they can dial the hardness up or down. Right. You know, <laughs> some people like that. You know, and... Right. Uh, uh, like I said, this was a if if you don't mind sleeping on a on a foam bed, right? Then Casper's for you. you ah, know? okay. But uh, but you know, again, if you're an adult <laughs> and you like comfort, you know, and you like a little padding, and you know, you you you, you crawl into a good bed, right? And you go, ah, <gasps> you know, Relax. and your body's like, yeah. You crawl on a Casper bed, and it, it's not 
it's not that. <gasps> it's three ninety nine. Come on. This is not but an endorsement for Casper Ben. No, no, no. It it serves a market. There is a market for it, but it's not a market for adults, in my opinion. It's a market for a guest bedroom. It's a market for a kid, um, you know, a non-adult kid. It, it's there's a market for it. Great market for it. Perfectly yeah, fine. Term, but not, um, was it more short-term sleeping experiences, right? <laughs> but not a grown adult. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so my my ad spots, I say, hey, this is a great bed for spare bedroom. This is great, you know, for a, you know, for a, for a, you know, a starter bed for a kid. You know, and that is probably not what Casper wanted promoted. Yeah. Right. But I wasn't about to say this is going to – and I tried sleeping on it for 15 days. And if it was going to have been my primary bed, I'd have been taking them upon their offer to send it back. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so the audience, Bob, the audience is not fooled. The audience is not fooled by this type of marketing. They know. But if you honestly tell them who this who this product is for, maybe they need a spare bedroom mattress. Right. Right? And yeah. if that's the case, that is the product for them. They don't have to go out and spend 1500 bucks for a spare for bedroom a spare mattress. Bedroom bed. Sure, sure. So there's a market right. for it. There is a market. Regardless of the primary kind of, kind of use case. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So for me... You know, and that's where you get into being on it because your audience is going to know that I'm getting a mattress in a box. You know, come on. You know, they who are we fooling? We're not fooling anyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So in, in being genuine in the advertising, you have to be genuine. If yeah. there is a market and you think who the market is, you tell the audience who that market is, and then you hope you deliver the ROI. Yeah, I guess if you – if you couch it in a term like, like you said, I mean, it may not be what Casper would ideally want to to hear marketed as their as their positioning for their product. But if it gets mm-hmm. gets results based on that repositioning by the host, and I, I guess what what we have given an example here, Todd, is the is the brand risk that um, advertisers have with working with podcasters, is that. But the, but the brand risk also read. is I'm not going to I'm not put I'm not putting my reputation out there to tell someone to buy themselves right. a primary mattress from Casper for their bed. Right. Well, Todd, I agree with you, but but you're also repositioning their product in the market of of their of your listeners, right? True. So you're True. you're taking a little bit of um, of liberty with their brand positioning or their product positioning in the market. To better suit your needs because if you're, they're too stupid to know what their right. actual market segment right. is, then you know. So based on your experience uh, when you did the ad read, because I'm sure that they they gave you ad read um, points, right? Talking points. I very right. selectively chose my talking points, right, and so, added my commentary to those talking points. So did they present? the product as a, a primary bed experience or a secondary bed experience? Just curious. They, if I remember, and it's been a couple of years. Yeah, right. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the, the ad copy they sent. But I think it was basically this is a great mattress for a great price. 
you know, and I don't think they, I don't think they ever focused it on it. Well, they did. They focused on it. Even you see television ads today from uh, same life type companies. They they target it towards adults, which I think is a stupid thing to do. You know, they should target it towards a spare bedroom, and uh, you know, most of us have spare bedrooms um, if we don't have a kids in the house. Um, it, it's a perfect product for that, but I. That I guess maybe that doesn't give them enough market share to be happy because what people will do is they're going to get this thing. They're going to sleep in it for a couple of months say, I'm not going to send it back, but we're going to put this in a spare bedroom and then let's go out to the uh, true mattress store and buy a, right. uh, you know, a 15 or $1,600 mattress that I can right. sleep in for the next 15 years. Right. And that's, yeah, that makes sense. But in the end, they made a sale, right? But maybe, right. But maybe they don't have a happy customer. So. Or they have a they have a customer that is not completely unsatisfied, but they're at the same point like, well, that was a good experiment. Let's not do that again. Right. And then so what happens? What happens when I, as a podcaster, and they're a listening audience, and that, then the next product comes along, and I'm like, hmm, do I trust this or not? So again, and if there's advertisers listening, there's some takeaways here. I hope you know, and and I tell man, it's it's hard sometimes, Rob, telling advertisers that's not going to work. Yeah. And they go, well, why? And you, you have to be, you know, be brutally honest with them on there. And boy, they don't like being told that's not going to work. Right. And I think it is a an important lesson here from the standpoint as we look at um, the growth and development of the programmatic stuff. Um, is that you know more and more I believe that there's pressure on podcasters to just accept ads uh, without really knowing. Um, too much about them or, or, uh, you know, who the advertiser is, uh, what the product you is. Still there. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Todd? Oh, you're cutting out Rob. Oh, I am. I, I don't know. It's probably a bandwidth problem. Yeah. Good. Well, I, I guess in the end though, it, I think people can take their own takeaway from this. You know, like Rick says in chat says any audience can be a hot lead for a bed. Everyone has to use one. Um, but then again, if you're if you're a hot lead, what is the you know where really is that target? Where's that where's that product really fit in best? But you know, I've walked away from deals, and I have a lot of podcasters have walked away from deals too because they've said nope, 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 not going to do that. And based on reputation of company or um, the product doesn't match for their audience. And I think you're right though. I think a lot of podcasters are now being depending on who they're working with, they're you have to take this, you know, that type of a deal. And I don't ever want to be put in a situation where someone tells me I have to take an advertiser. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow we need we, to um, work on that and try and figure out ways to, to better, you know, keep the podcaster informed of who their advertisers are. Um, but anyway, it's simple. You give the podcaster the option to opt out. You know, that's what we do. Right. You know, they are not committed until, you know, we we basically have a couple of procedures. We basically say, hey, we've got an advertiser interested. I can't tell you who the advertiser is, uh, but it's in this category. Then the advertiser finally allows us to give the details and we give the details to the content creator. Say, okay, here's the deal. Here's the payment. Are you in? Are you out? Right. And then if they say in, then we're on. If they say out, then we have to go back and try to fill with additional shows. But I'd rather have someone say they're out, they don't want to be part of an ad deal, than just take one because they need the money. I'd rather have someone 
that wants to be in the ad deal and is supportive of the product being presented. And it just works out well when it does. Rob, we're already about an oh, hour yeah. and a half, even though we started late. Yeah. Yeah. That's and uh, I need I need to bust out. I got to go to Fry's. <laughs> oh, you do? You got to get some, some audio gear of some sort of computer gear. You got to buy a printer and got to buy a printer and a monitor. So, uh, oh, okay. All right. And- I buy the cheap, cheapest, most twenty nine ninety five printer I can buy, and uh, I allow if someone wants to take it home with them after the show, they can. It's cheaper to buy a cheap printer than it is to <laughs> ship one in and ship one out. <laughs> so, Todd, let's let's talk about uh, just briefly before we we jump off here. The next uh, big podcasting event coming up is PodCon, uh, which is going to yep. be up here in Seattle, and um, many in the podcasting industry are going to be at that event. Uh, um, Todd, you're you're not going to be, but I know your team's going to be up here. Um, yep. So that's the big thing coming up, and that's the weekend of the nineteenth and twentieth of January up in Seattle. Podcon.com if you wanted to go check it out or if you happen to live in the Northwest, it would be a be a great event to, to see you. I'm going to be there working my booth for, for Spreaker and actually we're going to have three folks from, from Spreaker. Uh, a few people from Europe are going to, going to be there as well. So it's, it's going to be good. Our new head of content is going to be there who's a podcaster. So it'll be uh, great to see everybody if you can come by. And I know uh, I think Rob Walsh is going to be there from uh, Lipson, and and you know the the Blueberry team is going to be there. So yeah, Mackenzie and Aaron will yep. be there. Aaron will be someone that people get to get introduced to. So uh, yep. yes, we're, I'm sending the the how should we say it the the younger team members to that event. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of that's kind of what we did too. So there's going to be a couple of uh, I, I, younger folks there, so it'll be good. You know, I'm still going to be there. the The old man's still going to be, uh, be, be there, but <laughs> but that's okay. Um, Todd, are are we going to do do a show on the twelfth? Uh, impossible for me on the twelfth. Okay. So okay. wow, so that means maybe two weeks off. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, because uh, the nineteenth is the first day of um, of a podcast. podcon. Right. So, so let's see what – yeah, maybe we can slip one in. Uh, well, let like me look the, at the calendar Like here. the morning of the 18th or something like that. Maybe we can do something. And I'm going to – my challenge is, Rob, I it will be on the East Coast, uh, and my schedule is already Packed. thrashed. So maybe we can figure – I'll let you know. We'll see if we can squeeze something in that week. Okay. I'll try to get you a date and time. But uh, – okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're booking up quickly with, uh, your I'm going to be tour. in New York quite yes. a bit. Okay. <laughs> your tour so. through the industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, maybe there'll be some interesting highlights, uh, in a couple of weeks for okay. sure. So, all right. Well, I mean, let's, all right, let's, everyone, let's try and squeeze something in, but, but yeah. And, uh, we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks then. But uh, Todd at Blueberry.com or at Geek News on Twitter. Rob uh, at, uh, uh, what's the best one to use, Spreaker.com. Uh, you can also <laughs> find me on, on Twitter at Rob Greenlee, and, and you can go to RobGreenlee.com or the Spreaker Live Show, so which is where yeah. we did this episode this week. So, 
Everyone, thanks for uh, for being subscribed, and uh, we hope you got something out of the show. And definitely send us your commentary on uh, any topic or any tidbits you may have. We always keep a little uh, secret secret, and we won't reveal who sent it to us. So we'd love to hear from you if you have any any little tidbits to share with us that are good for the industry to know. But uh, from Viva Las Vegas, we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and Rob, take care. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye.